I invite you to open your Bible with me to the book of Genesis and today to the 12th chapter of Genesis. I'm going to begin reading in chapter 11, verse 31, to pick up the flow of things. It says, And Terah took Abram his son, and Lot the son of Haran his grandson, and Sarai his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife. And they went out together from Ur of the Chaldeans in order to enter the land of Canaan. And they went as far as Haran and settled there. And the days of Terah were two hundred and five years, and Terah died in Haran. Now the Lord had said to Abram, Go forth from your country, and from your relatives, and from your father's house, to the land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and will make your name great, and so you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went forth as the Lord had spoken to him. And Lot went with him. Now Abram was seventy-five years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai his wife, and Lot his nephew, and all their possessions which they had accumulated, and the persons which they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan. Thus they came to the land of Canaan. And Abram passed through the land as far as the site of Shechem to the oak of Moreh. Now the Canaanite was then in the land, and the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your descendants I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. Then he proceeded from there to the mountain on the east of Bethel, and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, continuing toward the Negev. The panorama of Genesis chapters 1 through 11 provides for us the historical origins of our world and its early history. From that historical sweeping worldwide perspective, the focus of Genesis now comes to one lone figure in chapter 12, and that is, of course, Abram. You might ask the question, why Abram? There is only one answer that I know to that question, and it is this. It is God's gracious choice to focus on Abram. From among the nations, all of whom were under his judgment, God calls a man to salvation. And he calls that man to know him and to walk with him. It is somewhat reminiscent of Noah, who in the days before the judgment of the flood, it is said, found grace in the eyes of the Lord. That word grace in Genesis chapter 6 comes from a root that means to bend or to stoop over. Thus it shows the condescending or unmerited favor of a superior person to one who is inferior. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. 
Abram is an idolater, according to Joshua 24, verse 2. But God appears to him nonetheless in this place that is called Ur, Ur of Chaldea. And Abraham obeys what God says to him. Stephen talks a little about that in his great sermon in Acts chapter 7, when he says, Hear me, brethren and fathers, the God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran, and said to him, Depart from your country and your relatives and come into the land that I will show you. We may think that Abram would have been glad to leave the deserts of uh, Mesopotamia and go to the land of Canaan. But friends, we need to understand what Ur of the Chaldeans was like. Ur was a very civilized area. The excavations from Ur reveal to us that it was a place of great artistry, jewelry, and art treasures. China and exquisite crystal have all been found in the ruins of Ur. Musical instruments and other crafted objects that uh, are particularly exquisite. Archaeology shows that Ur was in a state of high civilization 500 years before Abraham lived there. In the ruins, they have found thousands of clay tablets that reveal that Ur was a place of a thriving economy. It was a great and prosperous city with perhaps 360,000 people living in this city and its suburbs. Francis Schaeffer talks a little bit about this city in his book entitled Genesis in Space and Time. He says the excavations show us that Houses were made of brick and were whitewashed for aesthetic purposes. They stood two stories high. In the larger houses, there were up to 10 to 20 rooms. They had wonderfully equipped kitchens, a good plumbing system, and sanitation. From the evidence that's been found, some people have thought that perhaps they taught cube root in their schools. God called Abram to leave what was the most civilized place in the Near Eastern world to go to a land that he did not know. But Abraham obeyed. And calling Abram, God is hereby creating a new beginning for his plan to bless all mankind. In Genesis chapter 1 and verse 28, God says, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. And in saying those words, God blessed man. This is the third time, however, that there has been a beginning. Adam failed. God started over with Noah and his sons, and that led again to failure. And so the third time, God starts again, a new beginning with Abram. In responding to God's call upon his life, Abram becomes God's alien, God's refugee, God's pilgrim, if you please. And he begins a lifelong pilgrimage or walk with God, an adventure 
in following God. But I hope that we will glean not only this morning but in the coming weeks as we study our way through the life of Abram and others in Genesis is this, that God calls us to be pilgrims too and to follow Abram's example in an adventure of faith. There are three actions that I see in our text this morning which are actions of God's pilgrims throughout the ages. We see them exemplified in Abram. In the first place, God's pilgrims leave their past. While in Ur, God had called Abram to leave his country, his people, his father's household. This involved a complete break with everything that tied him to his idolatrous past. When God calls you and me to himself, it is a call that is also away from what has enslaved us before. As Paul writes to the Thessalonians, you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God. And as he says in Acts chapter 14 in the city of Lystra when he and Barnabas were declared by the ignorant populace there to be gods. He says, men, why are you doing these things? We're also men of the same nature as you and preach the gospel to you in order that you should turn from these vain things to a living God. God's pilgrims leave their past. God calls us to himself and away from what we were. God's call is a sanctifying call, setting us apart to be his own. It is a cleansing call that washes us of our past previous associations of sin. It is a call to separation from the idolatrous culture and its values. For Abram, it meant physically leaving these things and people to go to the promised land. For us, we may physically remain where we are, but our relationships are called to be different. We are called to be a holy people. Response to God's call means just this, that we place Him in our lives as our highest love. Whereas before we may have loved many things and did, when we respond to God's call, it is away from those things that our love must go and to God. Jesus says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now you know there that Jesus is not saying that we must literally hate them, but he is saying that our love for him as our master must be so strong that earthly affections in comparison are like hatred. The point that I'm making is that a pilgrim dares not allow his past to dominate him. Haran left Ur along with his father and other relatives, and they stayed in Haran. The word Haran means delay. And it became that for Abram's complete obedience. It was a delay for him. 
In chapter 11, verse 31, we see that Terah, his father, and Lot, his nephew, accompanied him. This delayed his pilgrimage in this city and later created trouble for him in his pilgrimage in Canaan. But when his father had died, he left Haran and continued his journey. It may be that there is some delay also in your following the Lord. What is it that holds you in your heron instead of going on and being in that place where God wants you to be? God's pilgrims leave their past. Secondly, God's pilgrims receive his promises. Some think it foolish to leave the certainty of what one has for what one does not have. But the pilgrim's faith, you see, rests upon the promises of a trustworthy God. In Hebrews 11 we read, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. By it the men of old gained approval. Abram had never seen a travelogue film or video of Canaan. He had never seen a satellite picture of it. He didn't know what was in Canaan. But he went there. Because that was the place where God had promised to bless him. Just very quickly, Abram's promise of blessing involves several things. First of all, this land that God would show him. This land of Canaan. Secondly, we notice it involved a nation that God would make him. A nation of people which would in turn then bless others. Third, we notice that it involved an identity that God would give to him. God says, I'm going to so identify with you, Abram, that those who bless you, I will bless. And I will be so identified with you, Abram, that those who curse you are cursing me and I will curse them. God says to Abram, I'm giving you a new identity. It's with me. And fourthly, it is a blessing that God would give to all the families of the earth through Abram. That's what his promise was. He says, Abram, I will bless all the families of the earth through you. You and I who today... 4,000 years later, believe in Jesus Christ, are among those included in Abram's promise. As it says in Galatians chapter 3, And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, All the nations shall be blessed in you. You see, in this promise to Abraham, there is this message encrypted. It is hidden to Abraham's eyes at this point and to succeeding generations until after Jesus. But it was that the Gentiles too would be blessed through the seed of Abram. And so Paul concludes, so then those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham the believer. You and I are embraced in these promises that were made to Abram. And like him, we as pilgrims too are to live by God's promises. We need not live by God's explanations. God doesn't owe us any. 
but we are privileged to live by God's promises. Even when we can't see the outcome, we have the promises of God, and when we believe and obey the promises of God, God will take us to that place that he's promised to us. Pilgrims leave their past. Pilgrims receive God's promises. And third, pilgrims perceive their prospect. It says regarding Abram that he went forth. He went forth. Why? Because his faith grasped what God said, and he envisioned its fulfillment. As I said before from Hebrews 11, faith is the assurance of what is hoped for. Abram had a hope, an expectation, and he was assured that he would receive it. He had a conviction about something he had never seen with his eyes. What was it that Abraham had not seen with his eyes, but which he did see with the eye of faith? Well, again, Hebrews 11 tells us, By faith he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. For he was looking, listen, he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Abram had left a city of the world behind. Believing somehow, envisioning in his heart that God had another city for him, a city that God himself would build. Like Abram, we too must look beyond our immediate circumstances of the pilgrimage to what lies before us. And what lies before us? The very same thing that was before Abram, a city whose builder and maker is God, the new Jerusalem. That is what is before us. Again, Hebrews says, we, here we do not have a lasting city, but we are seeking the city which is to come. Some of us were born and reared in the country, and we don't like cities. Got bad news for you, if you're like me. There is a city in your future. It is the city of God. Pilgrims leave their past. Pilgrims receive God's promises, and pilgrims perceive their prospect. What keeps us going through the pilgrimage? Is it the things that we gather along the way? God forbid. For those things become as heron to us. What is it that motivates us and inspires us and keeps us going? It is the prospect of the city that God has promised us. Abram was God's pilgrim. It says in Hebrews chapter 11 that he confessed he was a stranger and an exile on the earth. It has been long noted that Abram's pilgrimage is noted for two things in particular. And you see them in the text we read this morning. An altar and a tent. Those two things. The tent. Abram was loosely affixed to this world with his hope fixed on the next. 
loosely attached to this world, his hope fixed on the next, and thus he did not mind living in a tent. We don't know what kind of a home he may have lived in in Ur, but he moved out of the home into a tent for the rest of his life because he was confident that God had prepared a place for him. And then the altar. Wherever he went, Abram built an altar where he worshipped. He was loyally devoted to God and sacrificed freely for him. That's what the altar represents. His loyal devotion to God, his willing sacrifice to the Lord. W.H. Griffith Thomas writes, by the altar, Abram confessed himself a worshiper, and by the tent, a stranger and a pilgrim. The altar and the tent together sum up the believer's life. Pilgrim, does the altar and the tent sum up your life? Peter writes to his readers and he says to them, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens, scattered. Is that not you and myself? Do we not reside as aliens in this world? Oh, but how it beckons. How our Chaldean culture beckons us to be a part of it. With its toys, its entertainment, its attractions, its values, its materialism. How it beckons us to settle down and to be at home and to get out of the tent and to make ourselves comfortable here and to lay aside the altar for that which is a more convenient religion. But I say to you that your pilgrimage and mine must be characterized by the attitudes of Abram. We, like him, must be loosely attached to this world and fix our hope on the next at the coming of Christ. And like him, we must be loyally devoted to God and sacrifice freely to him, realizing that in this world we are pilgrims. This world is not my home, I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Let's pray. As we come to this table of the Lord, it is a reminder that we're pilgrims that we're moving toward a city where Jesus is inviting us to come, where he has prepared the marriage supper of the Lamb. These elements remind us that we are a purchased people, that we are called like Abram was to be pilgrims, to leave our past, to receive and live on God's promises, to keep the prospect of the new Jerusalem before us. This is a strange way to live. 
I may even say it's a foreign way to live. It is a way that is uncomfortable in the church in America. It is a way that calls upon us to sacrifice the now that we might lay up treasures in heaven. It goes against our Chaldean culture. Are we able to leave it behind and say by partaking of these elements, Jesus, I am walking on in my life as a pilgrim. I don't know, Lord, what that may mean for everyone here. I know what it means for me. But as we partake of this bread this morning, convict our hearts. Show us what you want us to do. <clears throat> Let us hear your voice and continue on in the pilgrimage toward that city that you've prepared for us. Amen.